Hello, Claremont. Welcome to the first podcast of 2022. Happy New Year to everybody. I hope your holidays were good. I am Russ Binder, your host as always, and I'm thrilled beyond words, at least almost, that we have a guest that I've been trying to organize for quite a while, and her schedule is so busy, so packed with doing, I'll even say, the almost God's work for the people of Claremont, that she's finally made some time for me. Today I have with us Anne Thorward. She's the board vice president for the Newcomers Access Center here in Claremont. They are located in the School of Theology building there at, what is it, Indian Hill and Foothill? Just north of Indian Hill. Actually, no, we're on College Avenue. We're on the road up to the Botanical Garden. Oh, nice. Okay, so even more scenic. And I think you've just moved in there. Yes, sir. Anne has been in the paper, been on the internet, and her mission, the Newcomers Access Center's mission, is to help and welcome new immigrants to Claremont and help support them with just about everything from what I've seen that they need to be successful, uh, finding housing, furniture, everything. Anne, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm well. Happy New Year as well to you, Russ, and everyone who's listening. Good deal. Glad to have you. I'd like to introduce you to the audience and have you tell us a little bit about your background. All right. If you could elaborate on some of the experience you've had, the uh, accomplishments and awards you've had in the past that kind of led up to where you are today. Let's get to know a little bit about your background. Is that all right? Okay. No secrets. Yeah, I'm not looking for anything that you'll have to kill us all after we listen. I, I think you started out as a uh, financial advisor. Is that correct? That's correct. So how does someone get to that and then really make what I think would be a, a sharp left turn into doing what you're doing now? I grew up in what is now called South Central Los Angeles. I'm the sixth of nine children, and I knew from an early age that supporting yourself was going to be a critical thing in my life. I went off and got a uh, college degree and a teaching credential. I taught school in Los Angeles City Schools for three years, I think it was. In South Central? No, no. Actually, I taught in Hollywood, which was quite different at that time. And yeah, Hollywood of then was not Hollywood yeah, of now. No, it was quite different then, but a lot of things were different then. But anyway, then I went off to see the world, and I thought I'd be gone a couple of years. I went to Mexico for a summer. I went to Europe to teach school for two years. I taught kindergarten and first grade. And that was my first experience working with truly non-English speakers because some of the children in the class did not speak English. And then over time, I just always became involved in social justice activities. When I was very young, my mother had asked all of us in the family to find a favorite toy to give to the less able and less served families. We gave things away every holiday season. And I guess that just planted a seed that other people need us too. So through the years, I've been involved in social justice work through my church or through the community, doing things with housing programs, with tutoring, helping with food inequality. I even went to Nepal and helped build houses for Habitat for Humanity. Wait a minute. Nepal at the base of... Mount Everest, yes. Nepal? Yes. I wow. Did. Yes. It's quite an interesting community. I've been back twice. We have some close friends from there, and they, they visited us. Also, they also work in an NGO over there, but you know, I didn't expect to go there ever, and I just did, and spent most of my adult life in the Washington, D.C. area, which gives you a huge amount of opportunities to do social justice work. Well, that's where it all seems to stem from, yeah. right? Yeah, they say there's a lot of hot air there, and there probably is, but there's a lot of other wonderful things that happen in Washington, D.C. Well, that's the heart of the system for the, the country. No arguments there. Yeah. So anyway, I lived around the country and met my husband, Tom. Around the world. Yes, around the world. I've traveled a lot to the east and the far east, Pacific Rim, whatever you want to call it. And I met my husband, Tom, when we were in Washington, D.C. area raised our children there. One still lives back in that area. We just were always involved in running social justice auctions and food kitchens and different things over the years. And um, when I moved to Claremont several years ago, I was working full time and a neighbor said, oh, there's a little girl in the ninth grade class who's having trouble with English and she's just arrived from Syria. And so I offered to go help a couple mornings a week. I am not a trained ESL teacher. Luckily, at Newcomers Access Center, we have 
professional ESL teachers, and we have a teacher of ESL teachers who's setting a curriculum for us because we're doing English classes. And we've got people at all levels. So anyway, I went over and helped in the classroom, and then through this young woman whose birthday is today, I met her family. I met other Syrian refugee families. I met volunteers. I met people at the local mosque. I became involved with the with their activities and met more neighbors and more politicians, and it just evolved. And then in the fall of 2016, I attended a meeting at the local Presbyterian church here in Claremont, and people were trying to figure out a way to get together and be more organized to help these Syrian refugee families. These are folks that had come here during all the, literally, the the war-torn Yes, since the war started in 2010, yes. And know that refugees come on different types of programs. Refugees are probably the most vetted people that enter the United States. Lots of criteria, lots of reworking their applications and so forth. But they come mostly having been in a camp for some period of time. So if they were going to school and the kids were learning English and the parents had jobs, some rural, some urban, by the time they go into a camp for several years, they lose all that support. And, of course, these families are traumatized in many different ways. And so a bunch of us decided to get together, and we met at the church one time. We met at the Friends Claremont Quaker Meeting House one time, and then I said, you can use my house if you want to have a meeting. So starting at the end of 2016, we had a meeting every other week in my living room for almost six months. I ran out of chairs, so we had to move on to something else. We met at San Antonio Gardens, had conference space for us, and right. it, that's just how Newcomers Access Center was born. During that time, the late Barbara Oswald, who many people know, uh, had started an access organization in Michigan when she was living there. This was in early 2017, and she walked in with her brochure. If this was a visual program, I'd show it to you. It's very elaborate, very beautiful. And she says, Anne, you should start one of these right here. And she would come to our biweekly meetings, too. You're having a, like al fresco, right? I don't know you're, what You're out there means. in the garden. You said at the San Antonio yes, Gardens? Yes, we were meeting at the gardens. And after, uh, this is before we moved to the garden. She was in the meetings at my home. And uh, she brought me this brochure, and I glanced at it. It had a $21 million budget. And I thought, oh, Barbara, I can't do this. She said, oh, yeah, why not? And so in the meantime, I'd been thinking about retiring. And then a couple of years later, I did sell my business practice. I was a financial advisor with Mass Mutual for almost 25 years. And uh, before that, I was a teacher and I also worked in property management for almost 10 years. So you said I made a left turn, so I was in financial services. And then this situation came where it looked to be that leadership and consolidation and work for refugee families was really important. More than half of our refugee families are from Afghanistan. We have some from Jordan, Iraq, and Palestine, but most are Syrian or Afghani. And that's uh-huh. just the nature of the beast, Russ. And I don't mean it in a bad way, but that's who needs it the most right now. Is that's that right? right. That's exactly right. I mean, you're not excluding anybody. It's just that's the brightest fire burning. Yeah. We have way. a couple of families who are immigrants and they are not of that uh, origin. And that's fine because we don't discriminate regarding their documentation status or their immigrant status. We are here to help. It's a uh, very rewarding work. And I'll tell you, when a baby's born or we have a student go off to college, it just gives me so much delight to have worked with these families. So anyway, that's how Newcomers Access was born. And we have wonderful volunteers who make the whole thing click. Now, was it your doing that it became a 501c3? Well, yeah, I have to say I did I did do the application, which I'd, I'd nev- I had also done it with the help of an attorney. It took quite a while for the government to approve us. We were approved in 2018. It took about a year for them to approve us. That isn't a trivial undertaking at all. No, it is not. It is not. And I learned so much. Really? Mm-hmm. Like what would be the number one thing you learned? Detailed and doing the paperwork. So it's, if it's a government thing, all the T's, all the I's, all the commas, everything has to be right. That's correct. I think maybe because I worked in the securities industry, you only answer the question asked 
you don't volunteer any information. Good advice. So if you do it that way, it's real clean and neat and it goes and then someone has to sit on it for a while. For no apparent reason. I don't know. I lived in the Washington, D.C. area for 26 years and people there are very wonderful. And most of the people, every person I met, in fact, who worked with or for the government were just wonderful, diligent, careful and smart employees. So when you're in other parts of the country, people don't necessarily feel that way because they don't know people personally who worked in those areas. I had some many friends and clients who worked with the IRS. You don't hear too many nice things about the IRS, but these were wonderful people. So anyway, we got our 501c3 and we moved on. That's a big triumph right there. And everybody likes to hear about home runs. Good for you. Yes. thank. You. And doing that makes then everything after that a bit easier. Is that correct? It does because for fundraising, it makes a big difference. Prior to our 501c3, donors could make possibly tax-deductible contributions to Newcomers Access Center via the Claremont Presbyterian Church. And I feel very blessed to know Karen, who is the senior minister there. Plus, she lives across the street from me, so we keep in touch. And there you go. I mean, keep it in the neighborhood, right? And they did the books for us for two years, and they took all the contributions and everything. So Donors could receive a tax deduction if that were what they wanted. So now they can donate, and and we're going to cover this at the end of the program, but they can donate directly. They don't have to go through anything. They can just donate directly to the NAC, correct? That's correct, and that's what's happening. Good deal. I understand that one of your other big wins has been moving to the School of Theology's building, and I've seen that building there for a long time, and I don't know that I, I think the theology group has moved out or that building, for, for some reason, I understand that it's a, a connection with the colleges and there's some complicated, let's say, real estate agreements or something. But you were able to overcome all that and use that building to uh, the NAC's best advantage. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yes. We are very blessed. For nearly three years, we had office space and conference space and garden space at the Pomona Presbyterian Church down on Gary near Holt Avenue. And Pastor Adam there was just fabulous. First, we rented two rooms, and then we rented one small room. And it was it was difficult because if two people were in the room and they were on the phone, it, it made it tough. But they also had a lot of communal space that we could use for workshops. We had festivals there. We had these are all pre-COVID, of course. And over the years, I've tried to keep in touch with the Claremont uh, School of Theology. And some years ago, I asked Reverend Jeff, the uh, president of the college, I met him at a Claremont picnic or something and just said, hey, do you have any space that we could use? They've been involved in, as you said, uh, some legal controversies for many years. And he said, we just can't make a commitment. They talked about moving to Oregon, which they moved to satellite campus there. But they're now right. going to stick here in Claremont. Oh, so that's changed then. I thought they were all but settled elsewhere. Oh, not as far as I know, but I'm not really the best person to ask about that legal business. But to me, the key to these being in the School of Theology is I think you could not get more center of Claremont. That's true. We are in the middle other of than the being pot. Like, that's correct. Yeah. In other words, if you were in the middle of the village, it probably wouldn't even be as good. <laughs> yeah, because we'd have a parking problem. But, That's right. There you go. <laughs> but I wanted to share with you that I, over the years, talked to uh, Reverend Tom Johnson over at the co college, and he's I'm on a Middle East Peace uh, interfaith group. I'm not real active, but I've been involved over the years. And I knew when the Afghans were starting to come that we needed temporary housing. Temporary housing is the biggest, hugest problem when they arrive. We've had many times had families living at one of the one or two of the motels over in Pomona on Foothill Boulevard that are very undesirable, especially when there's large families and kids. It's a well-run organization, but it's just not pleasant. It doesn't work when they come to have them on the street, so we try to do what we can. Pomona Presbyterian down in Pomona did allow us to have families there from time to time, but they're not set up really for that anymore. And most churches are the ones that step up. Faith groups are usually the first to step up and join in the effort to help the families. So I had called last summer, late summer, I guess it was, I don't recall exactly, and asked if there were any apartments over there that they would allow us to have. And he said, how many do you need? And I said, well, I'd like two. I should have asked for 20, which we later did ask for 25. But nice. Now, where is this? At the Claremont School of Theology. And he said, 
For, oh, for apartments as well. Yeah, for apartments. I didn't ask for office space. I just asked for apartments. And oh, because I was thinking office space and, and everything for your organization rather than having your meetings, like I said, alfresco in the park. That that was a big hit. So is it basically dorm rooms and things that are over there? Well, it's are, interesting. Um, the School of Theology, it's a graduate and postgraduate doctorate school. It never had dorms. Okay. It never had food service. Every apartment has a full kitchen and bath. Oh, great. So it's really nice. And so I asked for two apartments and they said, sure. And the next day, the gentleman who's in charge of the property, the facilities manager called and said, oh, and we're going to give you a building for your office. And we were just shocked because I was only asking for apartments. And he gave us a building and it's a little compared to the rest of the campus. It's a very small building. You drive up the road, College Avenue, as if you're going to the botanical garden and it's a little side road on the left there's a sign that says newcomers access center and uh, right. the building consists of two apartments attached by a couple little rooms in the middle and we just didn't know what we were going to do with all this space and the first thing we did a week after we we had access to it we hadn't formally moved in we had one of our many citizenship clinics we partner with an organization who sends out attorneys. We set up appointments and families can come and be personally interviewed and have their citizenship application submitted right there. It's submitted based on their date of arrival because you have to have lived in the United States four years, nine months and a day before you can have your application submitted. But we've had three of those since. Now, that's for, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's for the green card. Is that right? No, no. That's for citizenship. We've had. So the green card, I I said I was born here. I don't know the process. The green card happens, can happen fairly quickly. Yes. That's the first step, correct? Yeah. When you first arrive, depending on the type of, of refugee status you have, most refugees can get a green card within a week or two. Sometimes, oh, long, nice. okay. sometimes longer now because the government's very backed up with the onslaught of so many ref, Afghan refugees. But yeah, and the green card gives and, you... And you all coach them through that process. No, that we correct? don't. That's interesting. We work very closely with an agency that is one of 300 agencies by the U.S. government. It, we work with one called the International Institute of Los Angeles. It's ILA for short. It's been around since 1914, and their mission is to help refugees become part of the process and help them. So the ILA, that institute has caseworkers, and they help with getting people their social security cards, their work permits, green cards, and all their legal documents. We don't do that component. They're the pros at this, but you coordinate the two, connect the dots. In a sense. We connect the dots, but we do not give any advice as to how it happens. And the hard part is when the clients come and say, oh, Miss Ann, I didn't get my social security card. And oh, I found a job and they'll only let me work two weeks until I get my green card and that sort of thing. And it's c- completely out of my control. And it's very sad for us to have to tell them what we can do is phone call. Call your caseworker every day. I'm sure the caseworker doesn't appreciate me telling people that. Text your caseworker and tell them you found a job and can they speed it up. So when many of these Afghan families came, they were sent to military bases throughout the country. I'm told by the rumor mill that the refugees who are in military bases should be completely out of there by the end of, of February or the end of March. So there's a lot of families still living there. And during that process, while they're at the military base, their social security applications have been made. Their green card applications have been made. The unfortunate thing is when those documents are finished, they're mailed to an office in Washington, D.C. And then the agency that we work with or any agency has to connect up with that office to get the papers released and sent to us. And then to the actual people. Yes. And then once in a while, last week, a gentleman, one of the caseworkers showed up with a stack of about 15 social security cards and work permits. But we're blessed that we exist, that we're here because it's a central location for volunteers and clients and caseworkers and translators and everybody can just meet there. It's quite a day when you see what goes on there. There's lots of activity and lots of things going on. You can just walk in and sit down and the world moves around you. You touched on for a moment the different programs you offer. You try to help. As a financial advisor, I'm sure you're 
maybe instructing folks how things like getting accounts and credit cards or even an ATM card or something. But you're, you said also a language and what else? Tell us a little bit about the programs you offer and what, what you do to help. And if you would throw in what people could do to help you. Okay, sure. Thank you very much, Russ, for asking that because the best way that people can work with us is individually, and I welcome people to come to the office. We're usually there between nine and four every day. I'm going over there, for example, in about an hour to help pick up some young Afghan men who are going to help us collect furniture, beds, and some other things that we're moving to Rancho for another Afghan family that just arrived, and they've got an apartment over there. We're going to help furnish it. The best way is for people to come if they want to help We need drivers to take people to adult school, and every day it starts again tomorrow down at the Claremont School District for all ages and all adults, but all levels of English speakers. We also like people to work as partners. Most groups, a book club, a college fraternity, faith groups, different organizations, pick out a project that they want to work on. The uh, local Rotary has helped us with our bicycle campaign. I've heard that and read that on your website, right? Yes. And this year we're going to start a bicycle clinic twice a month. I hope it'll be twice a month. Uh, And if it's raining, does not matter? Because there's a little overhang on our building. We offer tutoring every day in the afternoon. Now, during the holidays, we offered it morning and afternoon for all ages. And we have some wonderful tutors, wonderful people. And one of our problems was we had preschoolers who tried to hang around their parents when the parents were trying to learn and the parents couldn't really pay attention and the kids were having fun. And we have some wonderful preschool experienced people who've come in and helped with that age group. And that really makes it better for the mothers and fathers to listen. Do you have a kids club like they have at the gym where the parents go in to do the workout and the kids go play with toys and what have you. Is that it? Not quite. We put them in different rooms so the parents can pay attention in their own class. But I invite you to come to our space. So we have this beautiful small building that we really had to scrub. A church group came out and spent two weekends cleaning the place. And we thought this was just heavenly. But now we're really crowded in there because one apartment, which is on one end of the building, is rented to a family. So we we've had to maneuver a few things. We have a small computer room and we have a couple of wonderful volunteers who help supply the equipment. And sometimes we, Mr. Wayne gives computers and Chromebooks that he acquires and refurbishes to the clients so they can do some of their work in their own house. We have, of course, the citizenship clinic. Some of the money that we collect, we give to clients as gift cards to grocery stores or other stores. Some of the things that we provide for them is rental supplements sometimes, especially during COVID with job losses and so forth. They just were unable to pay rent. These are folks that have been here for some time. And there are some things that we are not allowed to give as used car seats, diapers, of course, mattresses, and some things. We use some of the money for college tuition, for books, for helping them pay for their citizenship if they're not eligible for the low-income program. We have just a plethora of activities going on. Transportation, of course, is a huge thing. We've had to pay, not had to, but we agreed to pay for some medical things that, for some dental work, for example, that wasn't covered by their medical insurance And we have somebody who needs, for example, a diabetes pump for monitoring, and it's not covered by the insurance. We want to raise some money to pay for that. And it's not just a one-time thing for anybody who has that disorder. They know that you have to have a monthly fee that pays for that. For mental health services, we've used Tri-Cities, which services Laverne, Pomona, and Claremont, and they've been just fabulous in helping us. I looked at your website. I understand our new mayor is a key friend of the program. Oh, yes. He's one of the founders. Oh, that was that. I'm glad you said that, Russ, because if you go on our website, which is newcomersaccess.org, you will see a list of the founders. And yes, uh, Jed Liano is one of the founders of Newcomers Access Center. He's a three-time guest here on uh, Yeah, I know. I've Claremont listened Speaks. to his podcast. But he, we, each time we've talked about Dodgers. I know about the baseball. He knows more about baseball than anybody I ever met. But nonetheless, he has been a key to your success as well. Is that right? Yeah, he's been very helpful. He's a founder, but he's not on our board, but he works in a consulting capacity when we need that kind of help. Jed is a giver. There is no uh, 
two ways about that. Judd's going to do great. I'd like to share a couple Let, family stories if that would be interesting. You read my mind. I was just about to ask because <laughs> everybody likes to hear about home runs. Everybody likes to hear success stories. I'm going to just let you tell it. What was it like where they were from? How did they get here? And how did you help them? And where are they now? As I mentioned to you, the two largest groups, the Syrians and the Afghans, had come from war-torn places. And even though I've been around the world and I've seen a lot of things, I cannot imagine the trauma and the difficulty that they've encountered, especially the latest in Afghanistan. So we have uh, a family that came very recently, and they go as a follow-up. They, they, the family and the kids all go to the clinic, the health clinic, to be checked out. And when they came back, the, even the three-year-old stuck his arm out and showed me the Band-Aid where they took his blood. He was very proud of this. And they checked him. And then about a day later, someone from the health department called the father, who speaks English, and said, your children, I don't know about the adults, but the children have lead in their blood. And, of course, the father was very frightened. He didn't know what this means. The person said, you have to come back in a month, I guess it was. And so, luckily, we had a volunteer in the office who was very good at research and also has a lot of experience with medical things. She's not a medical professional, but she found out what the parameters were when you have lead in your blood. Let's say it's from 1 to 10, and theirs were 10 and a half. So it was barely over the edge. But he, she calmed But him. nonetheless, serious. It's, yeah, it's serious. But it turns out that could have been acquired anywhere, presumably in Afghanistan, but we don't know. But this was a family that stood in that riverbed. You may have seen it on TV right near the Kabul airport. Right. In that, that mush and slush. They stood there for a day and a half trying to get into the airport. So I don't think you get lead in your blood in one day, but I'm just saying that the conditions were very bad. So my point is the family was very frightened and we were lucky to have a volunteer who was willing and capable, calm them down, got their next appointment set up and everything turned out to be okay the next time they went to the clinic. We have many professional people. We have pharmacists, college professors. We have lawyers. We have two husband and wife. I'm going to go see them this afternoon. They were judges at the primary court in Kabul. I don't know too much about that, except that he said you, you had to make a decision in 30 days. And then if people didn't like it, they could appeal or go to the, the Supreme Court. But the cases didn't apparently go on for years and years. But maybe it was because they don't have time for that. I think they they need to make a decision and move. Yeah, right? but I think it was the nature of the court, which was to deal with issues concerning families, mothers, women, and children. So we welcome them. We have some families who've been here many years, but like they're starting to get their citizenship, which is very exciting. Recently, when we had one of our citizenship clinics, a couple of people came who are not refugees. They are not immigrants. Well, they were at one time, but they've been in the United States for many years, and they just thought, why not? So they came to the clinic. So we're open and welcome all those people. We have had some press. If you go on the website, um, there's a link to all the press articles. We have a gentleman who is now, he's from Iraq. He's an architect, and it took him a couple of years to get a job as an architect. His right. son is now in medical school in Cairo because he knows the language and it's a lot less expensive to go to medical school in Cairo than it is in the United States. I wonder if it's not less expensive to go to medical school anywhere. Maybe. I don't know. Besides that. the United States. I know. I have a friend who went to medical school in Mexico years ago. There are just all kinds of reasons people do that. We're very happy that we have a wonderful young woman her name's Shireen and she doesn't mind me saying her name. She is a client. She's from Iraq. She got her Bachelor of Science in Physics from the University of Baghdad, and then her family wanted to apply for uh, refugee status or income to the U.S., but they couldn't for whatever reason, so they ended up going to Turkey, and she was they were in Turkey for six years. They were not in a camp per se, but they were in a place where refugees stayed, and she started to study computer engineering. And then the president, this was a few years back, and the president didn't want any of uh, those people near the capital. She was near the capital in Accra. And so they asked them to move three or four hours away, and she couldn't finish her degree. So she came to the United States with her mother and brother, and they're here now. And they just got their citizenship. They're very excited. And she's a real smart gal and still working toward uh, some computer work, computer certifications. And she's on our board. And our president of our board is also an immigrant, and she just retired as a 29-year career as a social worker with the Los Angeles City 
Department of Social Services. And you don't see her much because her husband's been quite ill, so she's not around as much as she would like to be. We also have a new board member who's an immigration attorney. We're just delighted that we have people in the profile we serve in leadership roles. I think that's really critical for an organization. So then we have other family members who are so desperately trying to learn English or perfect their English. As I said, professionals, chemistry, college professor, their English isn't good enough to take an exam or apply for certain types of jobs in their careers. The literacy is a big key. And if anybody wants to help tutor, we have both class and remote. We have some clients who have little kids and or don't have transportation can come to the class, but they can uh, do it online. And there's many classes offered around the, the Inland Valley. I wanted to ask about that specifically for two reasons. First of all, if you wanted to come to help teach English, who do you have to be? Just as a native speaker good enough? Because you mentioned earlier that you have trainers for the teachers. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have to go through a, uh, a training program there before you can then can teach English? If that was something somebody wanted to do to help, what would be the process to have them come on board as an English tutor? Okay, that's great. You can come on board to be an English tutor and do many other things. On the, And I need to refer to the website, newcomersaccess.org. There's a place where it says get involved, and you can sign up to be a, a, a volunteer. And you might want to be a volunteer. I've got volunteers who move furniture all the time. I've got volunteers who teach English, volunteers who do provide transportation. You can write, you can get your name, phone number, and your locality and tell us how you want to help. And we require that every volunteer have a background check. It's very easy. It's very short, but it's just one of our criteria. We prov- Of course. And any volunteer who provides transportation needs to sign a liability release. And we also have a little thing that says volunteer agreement, just saying basically you'll be nice and treat people very well and follow the rules of the state and all that kind of thing. It's very brief. And so if you want to teach English and you've never done it before which is how I got involved, and I'd never done it before. I was a teacher, but I was not trained in that field. And you want to help, you just come, and you uh, can sit in and watch the class, and you can participate. And one of the things that we really like people to do is to just come and read to the clients. I would taught the beginning class, well, the, the one step up from the very beginning class the other day. And one of the things we did is we had two field trips over this holiday time to the library and everybody filled out their application. That was a whole lesson in itself, filling out the application, which we did ahead of time. And then the library was wonderful and people got library cards and they checked out books and they checked out, um, what is it, DVDs or whatever they had. And I tried to help them, especially the younger teenagers and the younger adults, younger mothers, pick out stories that they could possibly learn to read to their children. And I'm not trained in that field, but we have a a woman who's helping us with the curriculum, and she's suggested certain books that we were blessed with a nice gift, and we were able to buy the the textbooks and the workbooks. And uh, we have them all sorted by age group or level. And uh, so if somebody comes in, and you want to teach in the class, you just jump in and do it. Fill out the paperwork and away we go? Yes. It's not hard. And maybe you want to teach the more older people or the people who have some English proficiency. That's fine, Well, that was going to be my other question is that to teach someone English, does the teacher need to speak the student's native language first so that they can help them with that transition. In other words, if someone who just grew up in Claremont and only speaks English, would they, they would be of use as well. Oh, they would be more valuable. I'll tell you why. When you want... Because they speak like Americans, right? Oh, that's funny. Some people come to teach and they have an accent that's not yours or mine, and they're perfectly welcome. And everybody in America doesn't talk the same, and I'm sure everybody... Depends on where you go. Yeah. In Afghanistan, there are three languages that are spoken there, and I'm sure they're not identical. But what I wanted to share with you, Russ, is that it's better if you do not speak their language. Because one of the tutors that came in a few uh, weeks ago, she was just so excited. She's come almost every day. And she said uh, there was one person sitting in the class with her who was far beyond the level that she was teaching. And I said, I need to pull this gal out. She needs to come in this other class. And she says, oh, no, I need her as a translator. 
I said, oh, no, you don't need a translator because they will really pay attention if there's no translator. And if it's too difficult, then we know we have to go slower. And we're teaching, you know, how to write the date. In most countries in the world, they always put the day before the month. So, Correct. It's, you know, they do it in a different order. Yeah. And filling out the application for the library card, you know, it, or filling out the application for school, for something at school, all that kind of stuff is not easy. And uh, I know that if I went to um, a country that doesn't even use Arabic letters and I had to fill out an application for something, it would be interesting. So we're just thrilled that we have this opportunity for people if they want to come help. And you don't have to come every day if people want to do that sort of support. We have opportunities for people to help in the office to do a few things. But as I say, anyone who's going to be a volunteer in the office or in on the property or with clients do need to have a background check, and it's very quick. It's about eight minutes on the internet. Uh, we also have some wonderful stories of families who've helped families. Right after the August 14th debacle in Kabul, about three days after that, or four days, a gentleman arrived in the community, and the reason he was sent here from, he was at a military base for two or three days, and then he came here. And the reason was they like to put people with their families or friends whom they know. And he knew one gentleman who's been with us five, it'll be five years, uh, I think in February. And so he knew this guy. And the gentleman who came had worked for 14 years in a warehouse on the military base. And so when they said, oh, do you know anybody in the States? He thought of this gentleman, Ahmed. So they sent him out to California. And Ahmed has a small apartment with a baby, uh, a toddler and a wife and another baby on the way. And this gentleman, he put him up in his apartment and he called me and he said, can we help him find temporary housing? This predates uh, any relationship with the Claremont School of Theology. And I said, we don't have anything. Turned out that with and our client even got him a job and uh, turned out that this gentleman who had come somehow found out he had a nephew in Atlanta area. And so obviously he wanted to go there. And our client bought him an airline ticket, took him to the airport, and sent him off to the nephew. Apparently the nephew didn't have funds to provide for an airline ticket. But this client, this wonderful refugee gentleman, bought him a ticket. And I called him and I said, I didn't know you were so rich. And he just laughed and laughed. And he said, Miss Ann, I have a credit card. <laughs> of course, we reimbursed him for that. That wasn't something that he was planning to spend out of his money. But I just think that when you have clients helping clients, it's just wonderful. We have several clients who are very proficient in English, and we pay them on occasion when needed as translators. And uh, some, sometimes that's really critical if it's a school situation or a medical situation where a translation is needed. Now, as far as medical is concerned, in hospitals and so forth, as most people know, it's the law that they provide a translation or a translation service. Yeah. Four years ago, I helped deliver a baby and from one of our Syrian refugee families. And all the Lamaze rules came back within seconds. I had been 40 years since I'd used it, but it was fun. And she needed a translation. And all hospitals, they have a service that you just call up and they do it that way. But uh, sometimes that's not not available. In the middle of labor, that's really not the time to correct diction and punctuation. That's correct. She, when they were saying push, this happens a lot of times. People will say what they want to say louder and louder, thinking that's going to help in the translation, but it didn't. So finally, That's so American. Yeah, I know. It's not just, it's in every place, I think. And so we, our goal, our mission is to provide services and connect resources to the client so they can become self-sufficient. We have some families that are self-sufficient, but studies show that it takes average seven years for an immigrant or a, or a refugee family to become totally independent. That seems like a long time, but when I see how we are getting things going, it, it just it's just a long time. It just takes a long time to know the culture and so on and so forth. We have other families that are just struggling and some are doing really well. Of course, the children learn the English the fastest, especially the little ones. They, they absorb quickly. So this is my full-time job. I didn't think it would be. We have kids and grandkids all over the country. And because of COVID, we haven't had much opportunity to visit with them. 
We did see them all within the last couple of months, but one of my daughters is a teacher, and I just received the packet today. This is going to be a new program. I haven't even talked to the staff about it yet. She wants some of her students in Arizona to be pen pals with some of our refugee kids. So that'll be fun. And Very nice. Yeah. It's just another way to connect. Whatever. We have a new family that's moving in. I think I told you this this over this weekend. And we what we try to do is we have a liaison or representative person for each family, a volunteer for each family between NAC and the family, not to minimize our relationship. But when we have lots of people coming in and clients asking questions that a volunteer can help them with, can you take me to the doctor next week and that sort of thing. So the biggest problem is temporary housing. The next biggest problem is transportation. And that's because we live in California. When I was in Washington, D.C. Yeah, public was, transportation isn't so much. It doesn't really exist. So the bike campaign has been great because we've given bikes to everybody close at hand at the college. But we're going to expand that to all of our clients who are around the area if they want bikes and, uh, and help them get oh, to I've seen that on your website as well. Yes. And that's been working out really well. We have rent supplements, as I mentioned earlier, is a huge issue. We've been fortunate to have several people donate motor vehicles to us. You just go on the website again, it tells you exactly how to do it. The cars or motorhomes, whatever you want to get rid of, bikes, motorcycles, do not have to be in working order to donate to us. And then they get sold at auction and then they send us the proceeds, a percentage of the proceeds. Oh, I see. So in other words, somebody newly here isn't going to be uh gifted with a, a Harley chopper or something like that. To no, ride. We, as an organization, it works better because the title and the legal parts and the DMV and all that stuff is taken care of by this outsourced company. I, I was being facetious, oh, okay. but yes. It, We've donated to this organization several times ourselves, and they also took my husband's canoe along with the car. So you never know. Uh, the I wanted to ask you, I've talked about, in, in all the time we've been trying to organize this, i mentioned your name and your organization to some others. And I understand you're working with one of the groups here in Claremont that runs estate sales and that some of their leftovers. Now, the, the lady's name is Zoe Tabot that I talked to, but I don't know that they're exclusive. I used to go to estate sales all the time and things like furniture, big items, refrigerators, and things like that, that everybody needs, but also pretty much already has when they're already established don't sell well. And she said that sometimes you're able to find new homes for the items at an estate sale that don't move. Yes, that sometimes works out. As a matter of fact, one gal that is a a uh, constant volunteer at Newcomers Access Center knows her pretty well and it can easily go in and say, here's what we need right now. Our office space, use it like when we have tutoring classes, we have five groups and they're all cramped and one in the computer lab, one in the little office, one in the kitchen. So we're real cramped. We have, don't have space for anything. So right now we're collecting things for this other apartment. And yes, uh, a couple of people have gone to her, worked with her on things. Hey, we need this. And you have it. As, and most Afghan families, they eat their meals on the floor and they don't always want a dining table. You know, we have to ask them in advance if they do, or they want just a little table for kids to do homework or whatever they want. That's tradition or that's the way they, that's, that's our, by that, choice. If that's there was a dining room table, they would, they would still eat on the floor like they sometimes would, most right? of them do yes most of them do and we give them plastic tablecloths to put down on the carpet sure stuff. sure yeah but that but that's a matter of choice whether or not um somebody can get a, a refrigerator i've been to state sales where they just don't sell and there's like nothing wrong with them they're they were being used just that they just don't sell and is that the kind of thing you're thinking of we don't no we don't do refrigerators and we don't do appliances most apartments have appliances that where they are and as far as the furniture part goes we don't accept any overstuffed furniture or cottons things like that that have been you in said a, so that have been mattresses in. no but a oh, bed those frame, are illegal yes. those are illegal but a sofa or something like this a, a easy chair or anything like that that's been in a home where there's smoking or pets we do not accept We've been blessed, though, Russ. We have a San Antonio Gardens is getting ready to demolish one of their original buildings. 
I'm told that it's cheaper to destroy and rebuild than to refurbish due to wiring and all kinds of things. So they gave us a it lot. It can of, be. Yeah, they gave us a lot of nice things. Sometimes people call and say, I'm moving. What do you want? Come pick it up. But again, if we don't have somebody who can use it right away, we have nowhere to put it. So that's what's happening. But that's what Zoe said, that storage is difficult. For difficult. myself, I've also gone and given things given a lot of things to uh, Habitat for Humanity. And as a donor there, they put you on a list of for what you need when it comes in. Right. We've solved that problem in a different way. We have a very close relationship with the ACTS, the Axe Thrift Store here in Pomona, right on um, Foothill Boulevard. It's between Gary and Town Avenues. And so if you donate something over there and you say it's for Newcomers Access Center, they give us credits, and then we give monetary vouchers to our families, and they can go over there and shop. I was there a couple of days ago purchasing beds for dresser and stuff for this new family, and four or five of our clients were in there shopping. They were just thrilled. They were just thrilled. They can so in other words, if I give them a chair, your fam- one of your families can go in there and, with their credits and pick out dishes or something. Correct. Clothes, dishes, toys, whatever they want. And that works out. It's even a better idea. Yeah, it works out. And what happens is it's an arm's length thing. And Axe Thrift Store has been really helpful. And they also have job openings, I found out the other day. So some of the fellows said, I'm going right over there and I'm going to apply for a job. But, of course, we want them to work toward a career rather than a job. But that's okay. It's close by. They don't need a car to get there. And for these young fellows, that's working out really well. And uh, It sounds like it's like the job you need. Until you get the job you want. Yes. And we've got a couple of, of people who are have gone to the, the career center and at the school, at the local school district office and uh, are tested into a certain level. And a couple of them are going to be going this month starting their English classes at the local community college, which is really going to be much better. Again, if it's not raining, it's easy for them to get there on the bikes. Of course, the women aren't going to do that on bikes. But that's really a good thing because they can really bone up their English and possibly take one other college class at the time just to see what that's like. And I just want to share with you that the refugees get a stipend for a few months. um, And part of that stipend now is being used to pay rent at the Claremont School of Theology. The apartments are not free. They're paying, um, they have a lease between themselves and the school and they pay rent. It's doesn't the rent doesn't come to them directly. It's paid through the International Institute of Los Angeles and it just is deducted from their benefits. And I don't know all the intricacies of how those benefits work. If you are a refugee affiliated with an agency, you will receive $1,225 per person. You don't get it all at once. You get it over a period of three or four months. And so if you get that money, and you pay a deposit on an apartment in the first month's rent, we're talking $4,000 right there. And right. so for a family of five, that means you have about 1200 bucks left to have a nice life. It's very difficult. It's just very difficult. Some clients have been on their own able to find co-signers so they can get an apartment. We Newcomers Access Center does not do that. We do not sign on to that kind of liability, just as a matter and of And why policy. would you? That, that no. You're doing so much other. No, that, that's um, beyond us. We don't have Yeah, there, there's a limit. Yeah. One of the things I've seen in the past, I've worked at a couple of places where Russian immigrants have started. And one gentleman started there and he, his English was absolutely limited to introducing himself and that was it. But the program he was in was where the folks from Russia would come here and they would be helped by prior immigrants in this program. And then it was on them to help the next folks later on. Is that kind of what you're looking to do over there? Is that every family then helps the next folks and the next folks and it just, I'll say, pays it forward? I guess you could say that's not a formal program as such at all, but I'm old enough to remember. And I did tutor many Vietnamese when they came in 1975, 1976. And at that time, the U.S. government had a lot more funds available or gave a lot more funds to them to get established. And that's not the case now. And as I mentioned, families who are not affiliated with an agency do not get that, quote, welcome money. 
So they're starting off at ground zero. Now, some of them may have had businesses and bank accounts or whatever in Afghanistan that they may have brought a few dollars with them if they could get them and if they could get them out, which has been not very probable. And so they're really starting all over. When we raise money and we want to give money to a client, I just want to tell you the process so, so donors and others will understand. We require that the client fill out a budget. So, for example, we've gotten requests from a family, that, of course, diapers, you never can have enough, and a few other things. So we require that they fill out a, a budget that tells their income and from different sources, if they have some, and their expenses. So we get a sense of their need. We've never paid full tuition, full rent, but we paid partial uh, subsidy, and they understand that this is part of it's on them to figure out how to do that. Another thing that we have been very successful that this comes, we have a relationship with a local driving school. And when it comes time for them to have driving lessons, especially young people like under 25, we really recommend that they take a driving lesson. A couple of times we've had volunteers say, oh, I'll let them, I'll teach them in my car. And I'd say, if you do that, we don't want to hear about it because that's not what we think is a good idea. And sometimes if people have a car that we call a transportation car, and I think you know what that means, it can go from here to work and back, that they want to donate and they want to give it to the family directly, they can do that. But Newcomers Access Center doesn't get involved in any transactions such as that. No titles, no nothing. No, it's we, just aren't, we aren't. That's why we find take it. Take care of it yourselves. Yeah. We find it better if you get it yourself, that you donate the vehicle. We use the funds to help the family, say, a down payment on a car. Yeah. One, right. One few years ago, one fellow did. We gave him, I don't know. 1200 bucks or something and he found a car for 3000 he bought it and it was such a lemon it lasted him about two months he was so upset and he found out that the seller lied to him and all this kind of stuff and i just felt badly so we had to start all over so you know the other thing it's about the housing is that many of these families do live with relatives and they're packed in seven eight people in a one-bedroom apartment and it's just really difficult they're doing what they can and we're trying to help net it's better than kabul maybe it, oh know, by far they had to right live. see the thing is many of these people are prominent or they had professions and or they worked with the government or a government contractor and they're marked. So they don't want any photographs of themselves. That's why you don't see the money on our website. They don't want photographs, particularly of women and children, and they don't want their names mentioned anywhere publicly because they could, they could be it could be really tough. And I'll tell you one story that's really tough. We have a, a gentleman who's been here a little over three years now. I, I don't remember exactly. But he came, brought his children, his wife and children, and uh, every year, or almost every year, I don't know what it was, he would take his children back to stay the summer with his parents. And his wife became ill and she couldn't stay in the States. So she went back. And last June, he took his children to spend the summer with his parents. And they are ages, let me see now, they must be 14, 11, and 7, two older girls and a little boy. And he had plans to go to, to fly there, pick them up, bring them back home near mid-August. But anyway, as we all know, things changed over there. His children have green cards. They are considered lawful U.S. residents. They have active Afghan passports, current passports. And they have been sitting in their grandparents' home since August. They don't go outside. They don't go to school. And they're just heartbroken. The older one calls me about once every week or 10 days. And I just feel so heartbroken because I can't help her. And her husband, their dad, cannot go to Afghanistan because he knows he would never come back. They would never let him out. When the turmoil started, he reached out to his friends, his family, his cousins, his co-worker, anybody he knew if he could just get the children to Germany or to Albania or to even to Pakistan, anywhere. Out of there. Out of there. But he was not able to do that. And I have written letters. Other people have written letters to the embassy, which does exist, but it's in Qatar right now, as I understand it, and to the government and to the local representatives. I guess we need Elon Musk or somebody to go in there and get the kids and bring them home. But I don't know how to reach him either. But anyway, it's just really a sad story. And this dad is here and he's working. He is a long-distance truck driver. And he really wants his children and his new wife to come 
And uh, let me see, he's been married almost two years. And uh, anyway, they couldn't get the interviews or whatever, but the kids should be here. There apparently are other adults who are stuck in Kabul who have green cards, which means they're lawful U.S. residents. We used to call them alien. I think that's what it actually says on their card. I haven't seen one in a while. And uh, bring these children home. It's really a tragedy. I know that some famous people have been able to get some other famous people out of this country, but I don't know how to do that. I think it was, was it Yo-Yo Ma who got some musicians out or something? I don't remember now. Anyway, that's a real sad tale, and we just don't know how it's going to get resolved. And I'm going to say how and when, because I'm hopeful that there's going to be something that's going to happen that's going to help these children. And they were in school here. They were doing well. They're a victim of circumstance, shall I say. But Newcomers Access Center is to, our goal is to get people to be independent, whatever that takes. And we're here to do it. And we we love volunteers. And we love our volunteers hold hold us together. And we have partners with different organizations, as I said. And sometimes they just come as a group. Sometimes they come individually and they want to participate and help out in whatever way they can. And we have all kinds of opportunities for things for people to do. And learning the, one of the volunteers says, I want to learn more about their culture. And I said, okay, so we're going to have a little history time. Let one of the clients tell us more about what they do and what their culture is like. And we'll see. The other thing people ask is about their vaccinations. Refugees are all vaccinated against COVID and its subsidiaries, whatever those are becoming. And one woman told me she's been in the States about four months now. She said she's got an overdose. She somehow got four COVID shots. I don't know why that happened, but anyway, didn't hurt her. As as long as she didn't get uh, Omicron or whatever it is. No. Whatever is the flavor of the week now, right? Yes, I know. That's very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Let's do this, if you don't mind. I would like, if you could, you've told our listeners what the NAC kind of needs and a little bit about how to um, get in touch with you. But uh, maybe you could capsulize it, if you would, because I'd like to have a little section at the end of the program here that I always call shameless self-promotion. I think (laughs) that anybody who has listened to this would like to help. That's your call to action, correct? If people want to help, we always welcome. So let's have a little section here. We'll just call it shameless self-promotion where, you know, you tell everybody your website once again, if there's a phone number, if there's an email or anybody to ask for that you'd like to, if somebody does want to help and how they can go about it. Thank you, Russ. I'd be glad to. The website is newcomersaccesscenter.org. It's all one word. If that's too difficult, you can just type newcomersaccesscenter.org on the internet, and it should come up on North College Avenue in Claremont. On that section, you've got opportunities to get involved, and you can sign up to be a volunteer. We will try to get back to you as quickly as possible. Our phone number is 909-455-3248. Again, 909-455-3248. Our office administrator, Kim, is the one who answers the phone, but she doesn't answer 24-7, so you can always leave a message, and she does get back to people. You can always make a donation, either directly by mailing it to the North College Avenue address, which is on the website, or you can do it online, either way. So you guys take PayPal and all that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We take that kind of money. And note that our... uh, our board and clients are thrilled when we receive when we receive money to help us uh, further our program. I was going to tell you there's that the school theology has rented these apartments to the clients. You know, we fixed them all up and we had volunteers come in and work really hard and buy things and get it all fixed up. But they are not charging us rent for the office building, which is wonderful. Except we have to do all the maintenance. And we've got two spots where the roof leaks. So the next excitement in the next couple of weeks is getting the a roofer who offered to work on flat roofs, which there aren't many of. So that's going to be an expense that we really don't want to have. But it, it's necessary because it leaks right over some of our school supplies and books and things. So we're moving all that stuff and making it. So people can donate automobiles, motor vehicles of any type. Uh, again, if they have something, they're just sick of looking at it. 
and we will be happy to do that. And people can buy. And, and you would come pick it up because, for instance, I've had a few yard sales and so forth, and thing is at the end where they're valuable to somebody just because somebody didn't stop by my yard sale doesn't mean it isn't good. So if someone were to call you and say, here's what I got um, to offer, you could pick it up? If it's something we can use right away. Otherwise, of no. Of course. Because, but as far as cards go, you, again, you go on the website, it says, I want to donate a vehicle. And you type in your name and phone number in this company uh, called Cars, and they will take care of everything on our behalf. We personally got it. are not involved. And we're looking forward to bolstering up our literacy program. We've had an offer from a couple of accountants who said they would help probably in early February to provide a little financial literacy. We have a relationship with one bank here in Claremont, and we're looking for one in Rancho area because we have a lot of clients out there helping them open a bank account and all that sort of thing, especially since some folks have started working and they're getting paid by checks and they have nowhere to deposit them. So that'll be something we'll be working with this week. And again, a volunteer might be somebody who just comes in and helps them fill out the paperwork. What is on the forms? Sometimes it's a simple... Or, or someone from a, even a credit union or something like that. Right. It doesn't have to be... You don't have to be a financial wizard to know where it says address, city, state, all that but kind you, of Like stuff. you said, you have to do it right. Yes, you do have to do it right. So that's something else. As I said, transportation, if anybody wants to help shuttle back and forth only on a certain day of the week or a certain time, we need people to take the adults to adult school 8.30 every morning and pick them up at noon. We have someone who's organizing that carpool to be sure everybody gets a ride. Some of the fellows, are they've named themselves the Kabul Claremont Bike Club. And they are riding their bikes to school and uh, depends on their employment schedules, whatever they're doing. So Very cool. Anyway, we're just real proud of them. And they're out there trying to take care of their families. And we are blessed to have a couple of halal grocery stores nearby. There's one down on Mountain Avenue near across the street from Smart and Final down in that neck of the woods. And uh, the next closest one is in San Dimas. And they like that because that's their diet. They want what they want. I mean, right. When you go on a bike, you can't, can't take much home. That's why it's, it's important to have somebody to help drive them over there. So we welcome we welcome all volunteers and we welcome donations and we welcome anyone who would like to come by. If you come by and we can't uh, do everything you need at the moment, please forgive us. But we are in a small space, so it takes a very small amount of time to come see the office area. We have one room where we have bikes stored and we also have classes. So we're pretty cramped in there right now. I never thought that would happen moving from a one-room office, but it happened fast. But that's, if I had to say it in a way, a high-quality problem to have because it seems like the amount of aid and the amount of good you're doing is really the whole point. I was going to mention that Zoe's organization was very helpful. We had a volunteer go over there on one of her sales and collect a lot of linens and, and blankets and stuff. We had a church bring us a lot of sleeping bags when we had an immediate need for bedding. And, you know, it just depends. Now we have Amazon Smile, what do you call it, account. And people can go on there and see some of the things that we need. And we're just so ever grateful. Oh, so if they go on Amazon to and do the smile click, right? Yes, to newcomers then access. They, just search for, they can donate directly to your organization. Yes, that works out really great. That works out really great. As I said, mattresses and car seats and that kind of thing, we buy new. And they aren't cheap, but they do. So that works out no, well. No, but that's for a reason, and everybody understands. Yeah. Is there a parting thought you'd like to leave people with? Something that if they remember nothing else from this podcast that they would have as a main takeaway? I'll say that I never imagined that I would be working this hard on this organization. But I didn't imagine a lot of things that happened in life. And if anyone is interested in participating in any way, we welcome them. And life is good. When I see a new baby arrive or a refugee start college... I just serve with joy and delight, and it's really motivating. So that's what keeps me going, and as long as I can do it, I'm going to do it. And we also always have opportunities for people to serve. We um, currently have an opening on the board, and if someone wants to serve in that realm, if somebody wants to tutor, if they want to just be a bus service helping people, and you get to know some of our clients who are wonderful, and that's how we're going. We're just moving along. And I thank everyone who's participated in any level. Some are silent and some are noisier about it, depending on what they're doing. We have lots of needs and lots of hope. Thank you.
and it sounds like you also have lots of help. But you're looking for more, and that's really what I wanted to, to cap off this episode of Claremont Speaks with is to, first of all, thank everybody for listening. And in advance, thank all the folks who have listened and are now going to take action and, and do something to help the NAC. You've given us a clear path on how to do it, and my hope is that Claremont will then spring into action as they do for so many things. You can see the number of charities and everything that Claremont participates in, and I would like to have the NAC be one of them as well. Thank you very much, Russ. Thank you so much and, for and having then me. And to thank you. And you've been wonderful. This has been <laughs> thank you for uh, exceeded every expectation I could have had. That's good. Usually our budget reflects that more than half of what we bring in is spent directly on the clients. And that's real critical. That's real a real critical thing that we're very proud of. Absolutely. On any sort of charity, how much funnels down to the end users is one of the metrics I use on to whether or not I'm going to donate. And some of the charities are so horrible that they spend most of the money you give them on fundraising. And I, I find that to be counter to the whole idea. So if you're saying that over half goes directly to the people who need it and the rest goes to help them, I think that's wonderful. Yes, that's correct. That's why fixing the roof is not going to be a direct item for the clients, but it's going to certainly provide them a warm, uh, safe place for them to come and gather and learn. So that's important. And and for the roofer who's going to do it for you, there's a some bragging rights. There you go. Look on the website, list all our par partners and all our press activities that have happened. And I'm just thrilled, Russ, that you contacted me and I'm part of Claremont Speaks and Happy New Year to everyone. Welcome to the Claremont Speaks family. I would like to invite you back again sometime when you have some more good stories to tell. So maybe another couple home runs or something sure. where you have an event. Would that be a possibility? That would be great. We are sad that we haven't had, been able to have events. We had a fall festival as a routine thing. We had other events, but the COVID has certainly cramped that style. We wanted to have an open house. Taking a bite out of everybody. Yes. We wanted to have an open house on the campus, but most of their students are online anyway. But there's a couple outdoor spaces that we could use. So we're thinking of it. And we have some clients and volunteers are dying to do it because they are wonderful cooks and they want to bring food. So there you go. Well, then, Anne, I once again, thank you for coming on Claremont Speaks. And Claremont, thank you for listening. And I hope you'll be here again when Claremont Speaks. Thank you. Bye-bye.